host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy, Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Uh, good to be back, as always. Great to be back. So we we had a, a two-week little mini hiatus of the PDO Cast, took a little break, uh, took a trip out to New Zealand, uh, scheduled it conveniently between the trade deadline and the playoffs. I thought that was the right time to do it, but thank you to everyone who reached out uh, in the meantime to check in and make sure everything is okay. Everything's great. As Jesse can tell here on our zoom, I uh, got a nice little tan going. I'm feeling recharged, rejuvenated and ready to get back to it. So here's the the regular scheduled programming. And I thought it'd be fun as the first show back for us to, to really kind of like dive deep into it and bring back another film club. We did a Dylan Larkin one before the break. It was well-received. People really liked it. You just wrote up a big piece on Clayton Keller, and we thought that it was going to be good timing to to give him the film club treatment as well. So I'll give you the floor here to uh, to start talking a bit about Clayton Keller. Well, you know, I think it's it's fun, Dimitri, to sit down and try to figure out ways uh, that shooters in the NHL today are fooling goaltenders because that's like the eternal cat and mouse game of hockey, right? <laughs> it's always been that way. Uh, one is adapting to the other, and vice versa. Uh, you know, on through time. And I think that, uh, you know, now, especially goalies are really big. They're huge. They're super athletic. Mm -hmm. They're better probably than they've ever been. And shooters, I think have to go deeper into that bag of tricks. They have to become poker players almost right. Um, Hide their tells, you know, um, try to deceive the goalie, do different things that hide their mechanisms. Right. Uh, I think personally for me, you know, Clayton Keller, as of the time of this recording, uh, 80 points on the year, 36 goals, high watermark for him. When you sit down and you watch the video, it's uncanny to me how well he uses his own discernment and patience in his shooting process, right? I thought when I started to, you know, really dive into the tape of why he's having such a good season and what's enabled him to produce in that environment in Arizona and, and be so consistent this year, it's that deception. It's his patience and, and he'll drag a play out offensively so long. Um, it's almost like he's playing this game of chicken, mm-hmm. right? I think it's a good way. It's a good way to think of it. He's playing chicken with the other goalie and it's a game of who, whoever moves first loses and he'll wait all day. <laughs> I, mean, he'll, uh, I posted a clip in my article of uh, a sequence in the, against the jets where Clayton Keller gets the puck on the far wall, Dimitri, and cuts the whole way across the offensive zone, just dragging that thing all the way down to the near side goal line. He drags Connor Hellebuck like he's a magnet. This is one of the best goalies in the league, right? Drags mm-hmm. him along the zone. But by the time he scores, Hellebuck's not even in the net. <laughs> like he's, he's traveled such a long way, and, and he keeps the posture of a guy who's about to shoot the puck the whole time. So if you're a goalie, you're thinking, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You think it's coming so much that by you before you realize you've moved 10 feet and the net's empty, right? So it's just this ability to like, not do anything right? it's just for him it's just it's inaction but you know he 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 forces you to make the first move a ton and he's really accurate with his shot is really all that stuff you would traditionally say about a good shooter is true for him but he doesn't rely on those things as much as other players do because he's so good at manipulating defensemen and goalies alike um in his sort of again inaction and, and waiting for them to be the one to to move first yeah, I was in watching the tape on him this morning. I was um I was trying to kind of think put a, a mental list together of the players in the league who 
um, hold, are most comfortable holding on to the puck for an extra second or two beyond what we're kind of accustomed to seeing. And and Keller's right on that short list with like Kaprizov, uh, Panera, and Matt Barzal, right? Uh, I guess like you know it's more so through the neutral zone, but guys like Nick Ehlers and stuff like that. But it, when he gets when he starts cooking in the offensive zone, he's perfectly comfortable going back and forth and cycling around the zone and holding on to it as opposed to some guys that just want to get rid of it. And I went back and reread some of the scouting reports from when he was a top prospect, and that kind of drove scouts crazy to a degree, right? Because I think it, it led them to believe that sometimes he was a bit too risky or there was, you know, a fault in his decision-making because sometimes he'd get himself into trouble doing so. And I think that reflects how much the the game and the landscape has changed in the NHL when, when he was a prospect in 2015 or whatever, um, that the game was entirely different. Now shift forward to 2023 and that's how we want our skill players to be playing, especially if they have the talent level, creativity and vision and puck handling skills that Keller does, right? And so now if a young player was coming into the league with Keller's sort of playing style and stature, that would, I think, just be universally considered to be a net positive. But at that time, it was still kind of unclear on how that would translate to the NHL level and whether it was something that would work for him, uh, you know, playing against grown men at, at, in, the, in the best league in the world. That's so funny. You say, I did not know that. That's hilarious. Uh, it's so funny that this thing, it's discern of as a knock on a scouting report turns into 36 goals and counting uh, at the NHL level. I get it. Right. Like I, you know, uh, I, I think though, for me, if you're looking at, at junior players or like even younger players, I mean, you're like, you, this is a good trait to have. Like, I think the, you know, the mantra you, and I heard this a lot cause I was terrible at how I'm not terrible at hockey. I, you know, I was just like, you always have more time and space than you think you do. Right. That's the challenge for players that aren't as good as, as Clayton Keller's. Everything becomes rushed. And and against a team, you know, especially team, if a team's been forechecking you all night, you know, if you're a defenseman or, or you're, you have someone bearing down on you all night long and you're having to make really fast decisions with the puck that you're not comfortable with, that takes a toll over time. Uh, and, and you start to get in, you know, this, this mode where it's like the, the quickest move is my best move. Um, that's, you know, don't get me wrong. It's good for shooters to have a fast release. It's good to be able to get up the puck off quickly. It's not good if you're doing it and it and it's going right into the goalie's chest, right? Like the ability to to shake people out of their pants and make them move uh, and force them to be uncomfortable is, is just as important of a trait. Um, I wanted to throw something else at you too, real quick, because the patience is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I think like once you scrape that top layer off a little bit, you start to notice the other things that he's doing um, on top of that. So I think there's a deception in, in the way he waits, right. And the way that he'll drag a goalie around like we talked about, but then like when he sells, I, I would always say he's a really good actor, right? One of the clips I posted, and there's a couple instances of this. It's not just a one-time thing. Um, he, sh- he fakes shots a lot, right? So one time or opportunity comes his way, or, you know, he gets into a position where, if he thinks I, from his perception that the goalie has moved over with him and that one-timer is not going to work, right? And you know, goalies are great at side-to-side movement. They're great at tracking pucks. Um, he just won't shoot it. And he'll fake that shot. The goalie will drop, get in that butterfly or whatever position. And then he has all this space around him to shoot. But what, what struck me, Dimitri, was that the fake shot comes with all of the trappings of a real shot. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a goalie, like they're tracking these pucks, they're trying to figure out what's happening. They're processing everything on the ice that includes what they hear. Right. And, and I'm watching Keller take these, these fake shots and he's allowing, like, for instance, his blade, 
to strike the ice surface and make that clap sound like you would expect you would hear on a regular shot. Well, if you're a goalie, right, and you're watching this happen, you see this puck come cross ice across the Royal Road, right? One-time opportunity for Keller. And then you hear that noise. You're, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no goalie in the league that's not going down on the ground and getting themselves up like to, to, to save that puck, right? That, that, that is something that's like, Grammy or not Grammy uh, Oscar award winning mm-hmm. not music or, yeah. uh, where he's, you know, he's selling you the whole package. It's not just the fake shot. It's not just, there's a sound that comes with it. And I just, I thought that was so intriguing because you see people fake shot all the time, right? Like we see people wind up for, for slap shots that never come. And that's not in and of itself unique. What's unique is to do it in a way that produces all of the other auditory and visual cues that would make a goalie bite. You know, it's like uh you can't go, you know, I think it was like, you know, a good fishing lure and, you know, like that, that's going to attract the bass. Um, this is, this is it. Like this thing makes noise. It's, it looks like a fish. It acts like a fish. Um, that to me is impressive. Like it, 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 there's doing it and then there's adding like context and nuance and these little subtle extra layers that come with it. Um, it has all of the triggers for a goalie to think shot. And then from there, you know, that shot never comes and he's just dragging you around after that. That to me, um, you know, is another thing that stood out, I think, watching this video. Well, I think Daryl Belfry talks all the time about how once you have the puck on your stick for two seconds or longer, the likelihood of you beating the goalie drops so dramatically, right? Because chances are any effect that you gained from a cross ice pass or some sort of a pre-shot movement winds up being nullified, right? The goalie, the opposing defense can kind of get set can get their eyes on you, get in position. And all of a sudden, if you're just going one-on-one, chances are goalies, as you mentioned, are so good these days that they're going to stop it. And so you kind of need to incorporate that type of added deception that Keller does to his game. And it is remarkable. He certainly, we're going to talk more about the chemistry him and Nick Schmaltz have and sort of some of the looks they create based off of that chemistry and their passing. But there's so many instances where he kind of just holds onto the puck, waits out the opposing goalie, and then beats them cleanly. And that's very rare because... I wouldn't necessarily say that he has, you know, an Austin Matthews level shot by any means, but he's consistently beating goalies despite the fact that they're able to sort of get set against him because of that delay and that deception and the fact that they don't really know when the shot's coming from. There's numerous occasions where he takes the puck off the wall and he's kind of cutting into the middle of the ice and he's got his head up and he's looking for uh, a teammate that's cutting into the middle of the ice. And then he'll just fling the puck on, on net and the goalie almost like doesn't really see it coming. And that ability for him to shoot off the move, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but you could probably count on one hand the number of times the opposing goalie was able to cleanly stop a puck and hold it for a draw off of his stick, right? It always seems like he's, it's kind of like awkwardly hitting the goalie or it's being redirected somewhere else or it's it's never just he shoots it into the middle of the opposing goalie's chest. They stop it, they hold it, and it's a and it's draw. It's always some sort of next action that's coming off of his shots. Yeah. No. So two things you just said that I think are really important. And, and I want to first agree with you. Um, I didn't see a lot of freeze opportunities and I, th- I saw a lot of instances, Dimitri, where the goalie, like, you know, you can tell those, those shots yeah. across the league where the goalie reacted afterwards. And the only reason it didn't go in because they missed the net, yeah. you know, where you could just cleanly see that late reaction and the goalie never saw that puck until it hit the glass. I saw a lot of that. like a lot of goalies like turning around and looking behind them like what um i think a critical piece of what you just said is head up that can't be repeated enough for me uh in all of the clips 
I posted all of the video you look at surrounding Clayton Keller's 36 goals. Uh, that's the piece that's ingrained in all of them is he's staring at the goalie in every single or a teammate. Right. But no matter what the situation is, head is up. Um, that is so you hear people and like, I feel like TV announcers, especially ones that have played like love talking about heads up plays more than any person on the face of the planet. And like, it's ingrained into like American television broadcasts, especially, but it's, it is so freaking important. And like, you look at these videos and you see, like, you're doing several things. One surveying, right. Assessing where you're like, where's your, where's my threat? Where's my open teammate Two, you're fooling the goalie. The goalie's watching you. And it's the tell of a lot of shooters to look down before they fire the puck. Like that, that's just the way it is. Like less talented shooters that they're not picking their head up to look when you're as accurate as he is, you, you're able to discern and identify placement for where your puck is going, especially when you're making goalies move first and you're dragging them out of position and you're toying with them all over the ice. This is a guy that could pick a corner. There's hundred percent has the ability to do that. You can't do that if you're not looking at the net, you know? Um, so it's just, to me, like that. he constantly has a posture of a guy who's not about to do what he's about to do. <laughs> yeah. I think that is so important. It's, it's, it's every step of the way is sort of hidden um, and belied by his eye contact that he's making again, whether that's with a teammate and you're thinking why wow, he's going cross ice, uh, this is 100% going to be a pass and it's in the back of the net. It's a shot uh, or he's staring down the goalie, um, you know, and giving that constant indication of I'm about to shoot. I'm about to shoot. I'm about to shoot. The puck is sort of sitting in a natural shooting position on his blade the whole time. Uh, and he's not doing anything with it. That's, that's all just, you know, you talk about the layers that go beyond just the patience, right? The patience is certainly the most critical trait, but these other things like the eye, tra- the eye contact, the head up, all those different trappings, you know, that, that to me, you can't do this stuff and have your head down, Dimitri. You just can't, right. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, it's, to me, it's it's just the mark of a of a true skill patience player. Um, when you see them approach the ice and in the offensive zone in that way, where their posture is you know, sort of upright and they look like they're about to take action, um, it just that 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 is to me the most critical piece of of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's no uh, repetition in his game almost, right? Like it's like every, everything is new. Like he's constantly shooting on the move. He always, he's sort of like keeping his dribble alive where, where he can really, um, he can shoot it from any position and from any place in the offensive zone. Now I would say that some of those are probably suboptimal shots. Like I feel like at times he could be, um, you know, I think that's maybe where it's part of the decision-making concerns come into play where sometimes it's kind of like, off balance from a weird angle. Now, if it goes in or he catches the goalie off, off, off balance himself and it bounces in, we're celebrating and we're saying like, Oh, great piece of trickery there by Clayton Keller. But most times it doesn't. Um, I, I'm kind of curious for your take on this because, you know, we've seen his shooting percentage spike, right? It went from like the nine tens for a couple of years to 11.3 to 15.8 last year to 18.3 this year. His goal scoring has similarly spiked, right? He has 36 goals, so far, which is tied for 13th most in the league. He's probably going to crack 40 this year for the first time in his career and, and set a new career high by a significant margin. I'm curious for your take of if this is just a player that, you know, he's turning 25 now, he's getting into the meat and the prime of his NHL career. He's sort of putting all of those physical skills together. If it's just a matter of that, or if it's kind of more situationally dependent where he's playing on this team where there aren't necessarily too many other playmakers around him. And so he's kind of, taking more responsibility on his plate because watching him play, 
I know he still has a ton of assists, right? He has 44 assists, 33 of them are primary. He's amongst the league leaders in primary assists. So it's not that that's lagging, but it feels like watching his game, he would ideally, I think, want to be play the role more of a playmaker and look for his teammates. But just because of the situation he's in, maybe he's taken on more of the shooting burden than he otherwise would have. I think his bag's gotten deeper mm. uh, as a technician. And I think it's gotten deeper uh, one out of the natural progression that a player takes as they get better and accumulate more experience in the NHL. But I do think that there's a necessity element to this. And it's sort of like that grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, you know, pull the team across the line myself mentality um, that he sort of has. And it's, and it's, 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 he has to have that, right? Like that's, you know, it, they need him to score 40 goals, right? 100%. So I think it, for him, it's, I, you almost want to say he's been more selfish, right? But not in a bad way. Yeah. Um, not in a way that's been a detriment to his teammates. I think here's, here's the one example I would give you. If you go back and watch early, early versions, like NHL versions of Clayton Keller, one thing he does today that he didn't do then, and this is just like an example of a tangible thing that can make someone shooting in, in like percentage increase, right? Because there's a lot of variance to that. Don't get me wrong. But there's a reason why some players score 50 goals and some don't. Talent, bag of tricks, technical skills, all this stuff. His edging is what I want to focus on. So he's always been fast, right? He's always been a really quick uh, he's always the ability to dart in and out and pick up ahead of steam really quick. And, and he's a fast player, but what you didn't see him do before that's, and this is giving him more opportunities to score goals is come into the zone 150 miles an hour than a blazing uh, 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 amount of speed. He's got D backing up, right? Cause anytime you're coming in a zone without amount of speed, you're back. The defense has to match that. They have to keep that. We talk about gap control all the time on the show. They have to match that. So what does he do? Well, he flares his ankles out. He's coming at you 150 miles an hour. Now he flares his ankles out and he hits his edges. And now, oh, now he's slowed. Well, what do you do as a D? You got to try to match that. So you got to edge too, but you're going backwards. It's a hell of a lot harder for you to match that mm -hmm. speed change. And he's in, you're reacting to him. So we talk about patience and the ability. When he comes in that zone so fast, he edges off. He cuts his own speed down, breaks his ankles a little bit. The D back off him and give him room. And as soon as he gets that room, Dimitri, what does he do? He cuts inside. Yep. He looks for the slot. He goes to that super, super high percentage area. Like, think about that versus a guy just coming in the zone 150 miles an hour, taking a shot from a bad angle at the top of the circle, low percentage, right? If you're a good enough shooter and Clayton Keller is, sometimes that puck's going to go in the head. Yeah. You're going to score. Sometimes you're going to score, but you're going to get a lot more chances and a lot more goals. If you can manipulate the tempo of the game, you can use your skates in innovative factions. These are things you only pick up when you get to test NHL defensemen and have them react to you and, and your, your time and your space all change. Um, he's settled in, you know, and now you go from, you know, sort of being the one to do the reacting to being the one to, to get everybody else to do it to you. And it's just those little things Um that, that make a huge difference. And, and again, you know, shooting percentage is not something players have generally any control over, right? But you can put yourself in, a, in situations to raise those expected goal totals up, right? If you, that, that's what it's all about is like prime scoring chances. And he's, he's found ways to get more of them. And I think that's, that's such a huge part of the equation. Well, yeah, and a player that I compare him to quite a bit. I mean, you know, they're certainly different, but just, you know, I mentioned him earlier in terms of players who hold on to the puck for as long as they do. A guy like Matt Barzell, I'm sure if you talk to Islanders fans, they like they've been for years just begging and pleading for him to to be more selfish, right? To take more of that shoot, shooting burden on himself. And there is a necessity there because they've needed that goal scoring. And you watch Barzell 
when he does shoot, it's a thing of beauty. He can beat goalies cleanly, but for whatever reason, he just resorts back to being so unselfish, such a playmaker at all times. And it's kind of been to a bit of a detriment. It's kind of stopped him from taking that next level to true superstardom, especially as, as a goal scorer. And Keller has hit that this year, right? And so I, I didn't want to frame it as like a negative because I think no, part yeah. of it is situationally dependent. And certainly when you know, you're know you 27th in the league or whatever that the Coyotes are this year, and that's considered exceeding expectations, it's an entirely different landscape to a team that's you know playing low-scoring games, trying to scratch and claw towards a playoff berth. But um, the fact that he's shown this in his range of outcomes is something that I, you know, he'd scored a lot of goals but prior to coming to the NHL, but we hadn't necessarily seen him hit this level. I know that, goal scoring is through the roof across the league, but I didn't necessarily expect Clayton Keller to just be like comfortably a 40 goal scorer. Look, we have to acknowledge in this too, Dimitri, he's getting some really difficult assignments, right? Mm -hmm. You watch this video. He's not out there doing this to third and second pairing defensemen. Like teams are throwing the kitchen sink at this guy. Uh, And you know, that's, that's what makes this all the more impressive. Uh, Let me throw something else at you too. This is, I guess, more or less like we got into like the, the skating piece of it, but do you notice at all, like how he'll change his angle on a goalie? Yeah. Um, and he almost like, you know, I think of like growing up playing video games, you know, like old, like, like CSGO and like first person, you could change which shoulder you were operating off of. And I feel like he does that constantly um, where a goalie will have him lined up um, and he'll just open himself up. Right. And it's almost like putting yourself in that natural, like I'm going to toe drag you position where you, your arms are out. You're like leaning down Um it's just, it's interesting to me to watch him. It's like opening and closing a door almost, you know, um, when you're from a defenseman's perspective, um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to try to, to nail somebody down. Um, you know, when they're, when their body is, is, um, you know, both open and closed to you in the same sequence. Um, it's that same, it's, it's the vibe that you get when you look at somebody who, has a passing posture versus a shooting posture, right? Um, if I'm going to throw a saucer pass cross ice, that's a very different look as far as how my hands and my shoulders are dipped um, than me, like hoping that I'm going to like throw a wrist shot on net. Um, opening and closing the body like that is something else that I think that, uh, you know, is a skill um, and is a developed thing that, that, you know, we talk about being a selfish player and, you know, taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, these are other elements I think that come into play that make him such a, fascinating player to watch it's almost fun to watch when when the puck's on a stick because there's all these different things that are happening um when you watch the the same sequence four or five times you'd be like oh man i didn't even notice that the last time i watched it wow that was different than the last time i watched it and you pick up these all these little subtle things that he's doing with his body uh that maybe you didn't notice the first time around oh the tricks in his in in what he does as a skater is is brilliant it's so fun to watch right my colleague at at eddie Ringside, mitch brown talks about this all the time but and I think you, you alluded to it earlier, it's one thing, especially at lower levels, to just be faster than everyone, right? And just take the puck and go from point A to point B. But when you come to the NHL, you realize that doesn't necessarily work as often. Your ability to get in those situations where you have that much open ice, especially playing for the Coyotes where there's not that many space creators around him, um, gets very limited. And so his ability to keep people off balance by changing speeds, by um, utilizing those cutbacks to get to the middle of the ice, despite being undersized, his ability to kind of stop on a dime and then delay and wait for a trailer to come and then hit them with a pass. How many assists he's created that way this season. I mean, it really kind of checks every single box of every sort of like technique you'd like to see from a smart skater utilizing and maximizing their abilities and watching him play. Honestly, it's, 
if you just close your eyes, you totally took away the resumes, you took away the names, you took away everything. Like him and Jack Hughes, some of the stuff they do is eerily similar, don't you think? Like, he, I, I, I guess, you know, he's three years older. They both come from the uh, U.S. National Development Program. He's kind of like part of that evolutionary cycle, I guess, that eventually blessed us with Jack Hughes. He came a bit before him. And I think Jack Hughes has certainly more uh, juice or pop to his game as we've seen this season. But a lot of the tricks they do and how they hold on to the puck and the way they manipulate defenders is is strikingly similar to me when I'm watching their tape. The worst possible thing that you could do against either of those players is if you're a defenseman is go down to the ice surface. Oh God. Yeah. Like that, that's done. it. You're yeah. done. Like that's, you know, that, that'll work sometimes, you know, like we talk about like players that make rushed decisions, right. Um, you know, you lay yourself out there or certainly there's going to be times where somebody's going to throw it into your body or pass it into you and you could just eat it and lay on it. Um, they're just going to wait, you know, you're going to wait till you're no longer a threat. They're around you. Um, and then you're, you've completely removed yourself from the play at that point. I mean, there's a level of physical engagement that you have. And that sounds so like boomer of me to say, but there is legitimately a level of physical engagement you have to maintain with these players. Because, um, you know, the moment they're going to change the tempo on you, you know, their skating is deceptive. You know, we talked about the ability to open and close their bodies up. They're looking for the middle, right? That's what they want to get. Um, you, you almost have to, to stay, you know, you know, I'm thinking like one half leg inside of them right so like keller if he's coming down on your right um you know you really need to let the boards be your friend and keep them as wide and as outside as they possibly can when they change that tempo up don't back off go towards them um because like you know all these clips we watch and he uses the same way um these defensemen just you know they get toyed with you know they end up dropping down to one knee or they think they're cutting a lane off um but the player was never interested in using the lane. Right? Like that's the yeah. thing. Like you've taken away an option that wasn't even ever on really in the cards for them. Um, and you've kind of laid prostrate on the ice. So um, that, yeah, hundred percent agree with you, man. I think that's a very apt comparison in the skill sets. It's all about, it's, it's about, you know, manipulation, right? Um, the ability to toy and drag people around and, you know, keep what angle you have, um, you know, more or less a secret. I think the other thing those players do really well, Dimitri, is what they do when they attack defensemen in transition, right? Um, I think back, you know, old old school clip of Lemieux v. Bork where he tucked the puck into his legs. Mm-hmm. They sort of choose that middle lane against everybody all the time. They're not going inside or outside. Um, they're waiting for you to turn around first, you know, and if you're a defenseman that's looking to, to pivot and get in, a face-to-face position with them, they'll attack you when you make that turn, right? It's almost like no matter where they are, they're waiting for the moment where that player is the most vulnerable to be able to make their kick or, or their move outside. Um, it's just, it's, it's, I love that. It's almost, you know, it's almost reactive hockey, but it works, it works so well. Yeah, the amount of uh, mental discipline it must take to to give multiple efforts in defending these guys and not just like eventually just give up and sprawl to the ice and hope <laughs> to block off a pass, it must be, uh you know, through the roof. But I should mention as well, uh, because I mentioned sort of how um, I think the one difference between the two is I think, especially in open ice, Hughes has demonstrated a bit more pop to his game, right? Like you just see him break out into the open ice and create a breakaway out of nothing much more frequently than Keller has. Uh, not that Keller's slow by any means, but it is worth noting like less than a year ago, right? It was last March. He had a devastating leg injury where he goes leg first into the boards, uh, fractures his leg, gets stretchered off the ice. And so the fact that he missed the final, whatever, 10 games of last season and comes right back and produces the way he has this year without really missing a beat is huge, especially for a player who relies on, 
you know, not necessarily straight line speed, but certainly deceptive skating and utilizing quick bursts the way that he does and, and hasn't really dropped off at all in that regard, which is which is great to see because whenever a player has that type of injury, you always kind of hold your breath and wonder what could be. No, 100%. And like, especially when we were talking about, you know, all the stuff that's so important to his game, those ability to like change speeds or, um, you know, use a quick burst as advantage to fool a goaltender. Uh, yeah, that stuff's all huge, right? Uh, so you can't, um, I mean, you can't do a lot of what we're talking about today if you have a, a degradation there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's still that's still the, the the driving force behind all this for sure. Okay, uh, Jesse, let's take our break here, and then uh, when we come back, we'll we'll close out the conversation on Keller. We'll talk about a variety of other things. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Jesse Marshall talking about Clayton Keller doing our uh, film club study on him. So, We've talked a lot about his individual efforts so far, and certainly there's like a lot of solo dashes and him kind of creating by himself. But I did want to give Nick Schmaltz a bit of love here as well because the chemistry those two have demonstrated has been really fun to watch. And there was a while there before they traded Shane Gosses at the deadline where like the three of them, especially in the power play sometimes, some of these passing sequences they would execute would just be like remarkably fun to watch. Um, the utilization those two have of backdoor set plays has to be right up there with any combo in the league that I've seen. And I think part of that is just because Keller in particular is so comfortable, as we mentioned, holding on to the puck, that he almost waits for you to fall asleep a little bit. And then Schmaltz just goes in the back door and he passes it to him and it creates this sort of natural east-west seam for him to to get the puck through. And the two of them just have this like beautiful chemistry between the two of them. And, and it's been so fun to watch that I did want to just kind of shout out that partnership as a whole rather than just exclusively focusing on, on what Keller does. Yeah, so I 100% agree with you. I think they both have a tendency um, or a skill, I would say, to take defensemen on like these long, winding offensive journeys, right? <laughs> they follow them around and they, they kind take of take a bad part bit. of town. Yeah, really. Yeah. And, and, and you know, um, they got their friends uh, around ready to jump you when you, you get in there. So mm-hmm. um, what I saw a lot that I liked was this interaction of high-low between the two of them because I keep going back to like where I think Keller has proved his best this year for me is – Top far side, bottom near side. When he can take that diagonal trip across the zone, almost like a a, a crooked royal road, right? Uh, where he's going diagonally, top bottom. Uh, once the cycle gets going for them, and they 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 sort of start getting you in a loop, everything's building towards that that top that high low motion, if you will. And it, I think, it naturally has this sort of like accordion like motion on an opposing defense that opens up a lot of space for this, the type of run that Clayton Keller likes to make. So like people, I say like, what does chemistry look like between players? Is it a real thing? Does it exist? I don't know. What I can tell you is that it appears to me that Schmaltz is a hundred percent aware of what Keller likes to do. <laughs> That's what I get when I watch this right. team. Like that the vibe I get from that line is that they like, they, they have a complete and honed in understanding of he wants to shoot from here. We like to work from here. No issues, right? No, we're, we're, we're totally fine. And throw in there, wherever the hell you want on the third wheel there. Like, what does it make a difference at that point? But they, 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 they do have that innate sense for each other. Um, and, and again, like that, 
they, they have a patience that sort of belies their age a little bit and their ability to get up ice, um, you know, attack, um, hold onto the puck for really long periods of time and, and really ultimately uh, wait for you to make the mistake. But to me, that's like a very tangible example of, of chemistry. Chemistry is just ultimately Dimitri, that innate understanding of, you know, um, where someone likes to be. And you can only get that through time. Um, they, I just think at this point you look at them and, and it's, they, it's very tangibly there. Well, on the third member of that line being Barrett Hayden re- recently, I've actually liked what he's brought to that line as well, because he basically just simplifies it and just drives to the net and, and kind of creates that net, net, net front drive. And so, um, it's kind of allowed them to open up a bit more space for each other in the offensive zone, but you know, but let's, let's talk about that to Dimitri. Okay. A lot of people might listen to this show and not understand why that works. Mm. And it's cause you have to like. Think of it from the opponent. You have to command a resource to that, right? Yes. You, as a defensive, as a defensive team, you cannot let Barrett Hayden stand in front of your net uncontested. You can't. You can. It's going to work out even poorly yeah, than if you just let Schmaltz and Keller run around like maniacs down there. So I just think it's important to call it out when we talk about like we always talk about these players that can crash and bang like that, and not like in the old school Bopian head style, effectively create space. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. It's it's just all you're doing. Is, is commanding resources from the opponent and making them uh, pay attention to you and not, you know, other players in the ice that are in motion and, and moving about and all this stuff. So, right. I know, it's just a- no, no, it's, it's really important distinction. And like, you're quite literally physically creating space because as you're moving through the middle of the ice and then going towards the net, all of a sudden you're leaving an opening there where Keller and Schmaltz want to be operating, right? And then all of a right. sudden they can execute that two-man game. And, and Hayden himself has enough skill as a, as a former top prospect to once he gets the puck or if they hit him in stride there or get it to him in front of the net, he can actually do some stuff with the puck as opposed to just being a pure sort of net front guy. But the sad thing of this is that I think we have about eight games left of watching these two play together because I've been saying this since the trade deadline, but Nick Schmaltz will not be on the Arizona Coyotes next season. His AAV is 5.85 over the next three years. His salary goes from 4.5 this year to 7.5 next year, 8.45, 8.5. And that is the type of player that the Coyotes like to trade. And so I fully am, uh, I believe that he has eight games left playing for the Coyotes. And that's sad because I really enjoy these two guys playing together. Now, I think Logan Cooley, who has been dominating the NCAA, will be coming up. And so I'm very curious to see how him and Keller play off of each other. Keller desperately needs someone, you know, Schmaltz is, is, is an awesome player, but you're, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. What makes them special is the understanding of each other's skill sets and giving Keller someone to play off of. And so I hope that, you know, Cooley can fill that spot because if Schmaltz does get traded this off season, I, I really, I need Keller to have a running mate, right? It can't just be yeah. him and a bunch of like a, a who's who of a rotating cast of role players. It needs to be someone with a skill level to actually put like kind of, live and reside on his own wavelength so clayton uh logan cooley from my neck of the woods out here uh western pennsylvania uh here's what here's here's so first of all you're 100 correct like you look like at the micro data dimitri like really dive into like the nuts and bolts of what keller does he's not super outstanding in retrieving pucks that are dumped into the defensive zone he doesn't enter the puck with possession a ton relative to his teammates mm-hmm. um he doesn't you're i think what i'm trying to paint is a picture of you being correct right there's no the micro data doesn't suggest that clayton keller is going to give you a huge boost to the rate at which you could carry pucks into the zone or 
the retri- the rate at which you could retrieve them, or he, you know, he's not making a lot of passes that lead to a shot attempt. Um, but he's he's just a really good finisher. He's a really good finisher. And if you can surround him with a player like hypothetically, Logan Cooley has those traits, right? Hypothetically, like we 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 think we're gonna mm-hmm. find out if it translates to the NHL level, but all of those things that you would think Keller kind of almost needs to have this sort of environment that works for him and that that balanced ecosystem. Um, you know, like I said, you know, it's it's the ability for somebody to come in the zone, Dimitri, woe up, stop and hit him with that pass that allows him to take the walk. Right. And it, that, you know, the skill set exists there. So uh, that's a good call out. And I think that uh, I, I certainly hope you're wrong about the Schmaltz thing, but um, that you know, we could have another episode uh, yeah. someday where we talk about the Arizona Coyotes business practices, but uh, that, you know, hypothetically you'd think that that should be something that works out in the future. Well, the way those guys have played, just think about it, right? Like I think the organ, we talk about how players don't tank teams do or organizations do right. And the Coyotes have done everything and 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 rightly so like they weren't going to compete this season to have as little salary as they could on their roster have this sort of shell of an organization trotting out this this lineup out there that gives them the best chance of losing that they can so they can position themselves to be in in the fight for the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and now they're up to 27th in point percentage i think they only have a 7.5% chance of making it and basically since the trade deadline they're 6-2 and 4 uh if you go all the way back to mid-January, they're 14th in the league in point percentage. When this top line is out there, they're a massive net positive, especially relative to the rest of the team. And so on the one hand, like it, it's a really great story. On the other hand, I, I can't help but wonder what how the organization feels about this, knowing that their whole plan this season was let's lose as much as we can. And then all of a sudden, you've got this top line just scoring a bunch of goals and being exciting and winning you all these extra points that you could probably probably do without. Well, let me ask you this question too. Then, what is the future for Clayton Keller? Well, that's this, kind of what I was what I was trying to trying to nudge us like, along to. Yeah. yeah, like what 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 do they do? Because this is a super forty goals in the NHL. That's a lot. Like people will pay, they'll pay good money for that. Um, I mean, what I don't even know. I mean, you have to you'd have to secure a pretty. You'd have to think the package would be a pretty decent bag to get him out of there, but. Uh, um, I don't know. Here's I mean, the I thing. Think it's, go ahead. Well, he turns 25 this summer, right? He's got four years left or five years left after this one at 7.15 million. Now that makes him the 56th highest paid forward, which is obviously a steal. And his salary doesn't exceed his cap hit until 2026. So 7.15 million is certainly um, a decent chunk of change, but I don't think the Coyotes are incentivized by any means to trade them unless they're unless they're like oh my god we this guy's too good right now for our intentions like he's costing us high draft picks um but i think i would imagine it would be it would have to take a pretty massive haul to get him now now i think there should be a lot of teams interested in in complying with that because he's one heck of a player and based on all the skills we've sort of highlighted in the show so far i imagine him on in a system where there's other playmakers around him that are playing at a you know more up tempo Playing style, like here's what the Coyotes have been uh, as a team offensively since Clayton Keller entered the league: twenty eighth in goals, thirty second, twenty third, twenty third, twenty ninth, thirtieth. Like he has not ever been outside the bottom ten in his career, and so now he's producing at a level where he's producing as basically a top ten player. I, I I would love to see him in a different environment. I just I wonder whether the appetite is there to, to pay what I imagine the Coyotes would be looking for, especially after the whole, you know, Jacob Chikrin saga we just saw play out over the past year and a half. 
Yeah. There's always the possibility too, that like we saw a really talented player and on the defensive side of the, that, of the puck and that same team sort of say like, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe he follows down the same path. Right. I mean, <laughs> you take things, you take it public, you know, you never know. And it all depends on how long this, the situation stays like this there. Right. Like um, I just, I, I don't, I think depending on the length of that situation to I me, mean, it wouldn't be, I think out of the, the realm of possibility for more talented players um, to eventually not want to be a part of what's of what you know the rebuild process there might look like. Yes, although they they win a you know Bedard or Fantilli all of a sudden you got Cooley coming. I mean, there's going to be a lot of a lot of skill a coming much different in situation then. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, when they've had Keller and Schmaltz on the ice this year, five and five, they're plus nine. When they've had Keller, Schmaltz, and Hayden in like four hundred five five and five minutes together. They're up 31 to 17. And the reason why I wanted to mention that is because this is the third straight year now where Keller has basically broken even or been at positive at 515, which given the state of the rest of the team when he hasn't been on the ice is notable and something that you hit on earlier, which I think, you know, shouldn't go overlooked. There was a time where they were sheltering him, right? As like an undersized skill offensive first player where they were giving him easier minutes and his zone deployment has dramatically shifted over the past couple of years. His usage has skyrocketed. They're leaning on him as a top flight player against other teams' best players, and he's still producing at this level. And so sometimes when players put up these kind of point totals on teams that are finishing in the bottom five or whatever, we sort of scoff at it and we're like, all right, well, you know, they're not actually playing competitive hockey. We can't translate this to a playoff team. All of a sudden when the game situations and the game environment changes, they're not going to be able to get away with this. And Keller himself has been playing competitive hockey in high usage situations and and getting away with it and still coming out as a net positive. So I did want to note that because it's very easy to kind of hand wave it and just be like, this doesn't mean anything. But I do think in this case, like there's there's something significant here um, that beyond just, you know, high point totals or cool highlight real plays. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, man, I think it's, it's super cool to, to go back. And if you, you sit down and you sort of watch the video from when he came into the league, um, that, that'd be like a cool little, you know, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. A little Bonton project to like show, you know, some of those older goals, right. And how he was scoring um, when he first got started and, and sort of that natural evolution that sort of happened to his game Um and how much more dynamic it's gotten uh, and, and the levels, I think that he's sort of built out to it. Um, you know, you noted what they've got in the system already and, and sort of like what they're dealing with. Um, but Bill, I mean, Bill Armstrong's also said, like, I don't want to trade people like just, you know, to do it right. Like that's not, that's not the way that we're, um, you know, handling our business, but um, you know, regardless of that it's, I think, I think they have something really special there um, in a player that's learned how to, uh, create time and space for himself. And I, I, that's like such a rare trait to be able to do it in the way that he's doing it. Um, you know, I, I said in the piece that I wrote from McKean's Demetrius flat out, like there's no player to me in the league um, that's utilizing this methodology to score goals this consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see, you see it all the time. You see people do it all the time, but I just don't know that you see people do it to like this level of repetitiveness, um, th- th- this consistently, um, and with this much success, um, you know, as far as that, like extra, extra, extra patient approach goes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think, you know, ever, you know, regardless of, of where they end up picking in this upcoming draft, I mean, it's just, uh, um, 
they have an extraordinarily rare talent, I think, on their hands from a shooting perspective. And if you're not watching the Coyotes, I understand that. Um, but, you know, um, I would I think everybody needs to go out of their way to take some time to, you know, give him a little look-see over there because a lot of the stuff that he's doing. If you are if you like hockey and you're just into good shooters, um, you know, that's a fun little fun little video project for you. Yeah, I mean, he's eighth in the league in 5-on-5 five five goals, 12th in 5-on-5 five five points, uh, 13th in all situations goals got 80 points in 74 games. Like it's remarkable what he's doing. Are you, are you with me that he is a player though, that if you took him out of Arizona and put him on a team with other talent or, or like a better uh, offensive system that his game would flourish and it wouldn't necessarily sort of stagnate or, or aggress. Cause you, sometimes we do see that, right. If like, if a guy just needs the puck all the time, in this case, you mentioned how he doesn't necessarily do a lot of the heavy lifting, from from the back end in terms of the retrievals and carrying the puck up. Once you get in the offensive zone, that's where he really comes alive. It feels like putting him in a, with players that could get him in those positions more often would, if anything, just kind of shine an even brighter light on what he does already remarkably well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's just about you know you getting him into situations where where people can help find more lanes for him and open up more space. Um, you know, it just gives him a, a larger amount of leash to do the things that he does well um, and, and maybe even involve certain other, I mean, we've talked this whole time, right. About like how patient he is and you drag people around and he doesn't shoot when you think he's going to shoot. Like, what could he do? Like if he just uh, was allowed to do that stuff, like, what, mm-hmm. if that, what if that necessity, that necessity and that burden wasn't on him to operate that way. And he could become a trigger man and he could evolve his game to be like a real one, one, you know, bang, bang type shooter. And again, these are elements that exist, but I don't think he relies on that stuff right now. You know, I think those are, those are accessory goals for him, you know? Um, and again, th- that's an environmental thing. So I'm hundred percent with you. I think, um, you know, you, you, there, there's potential there for him. The, we, we talk, I've talked this whole time and I've said a hundred times, he's got a good release. He's really quick, he, but we don't see it all the time, right? We don't constantly see these things. He doesn't rely on them. Um, you know, it could potentially be quite tantalizing um, to watch if, if that was what he was leaning on. You know, maybe there's a whole other side to this coin that we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's all I got on Keller. Is there any other uh, parting thoughts that you want to give or should we get to the uh, the sort of the, the promotion uh, part of the show? Yeah, that's fine with me. Promotion's fine. I'm, all right. All, all right. Well, let, let the listeners know because uh, I want them to check out the um, the piece that you wrote up on Keller that we've been talking about. Cause I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, visual learners on the listen to the PDO cast that we would like to check out um, some, some material that kind of helps reinforce everything we've been talking about. So let them, let them know where they can check that out. Yep. That's at McKeenTalkie.com. Uh, a lot of uh, video analysis of that nature um, uh, and the like, uh, I think I'm going to do some more, you know, I haven't spent enough time this Dimitri on the Bruins this year. I think that's where I'm going to go this week, mm-hmm. spend some time in Boston and really get into what makes them tick and why they're so good on a team level? Or are you going to, are you going to try system. to highlight some? Individual yeah. Yeah. System? We're going to do the like system. A, yeah. Yeah. Go the whole, the whole kit. Kaboom. We should, um, cause we'll, you know, once we get to the playoffs, I think we're going to be kind of focusing on the games that are happening themselves. So we might, um, put the, the film club on a bit of a hiatus, but, uh, I think we still got a couple more left in us here before we get there. So I'm kind of curious, do you have anyone that, that you, that you think we should be, keeping our eyes on beyond uh, the Bruin systems. Maybe we can kind of open it up for the listeners to let us know who who they'd like for us to to really give this treatment. I think that'd be fun. Let them, let them steer the ship for a little bit. Uh, um, The element of surprise, uh, spring the element of surprise on us a little. I think that'd be fun. I'm tempted to do a last Patterson 
because he's oh, that's fine with me too. Because you're not gonna, having, I'm not going to complain about having to watch him. Yeah, everything he's doing both on and off the puck this season, right? If the if the Canucks had woken up earlier, or if they, you know, were in in a serious playoff uh, competition right now, I think everyone would be talking about just what a remarkable. Like he'd be getting MVP buzz based on the on the year he's had, but just because of their place in the standings, it's it's gone a bit overlooked. I think. Yeah, that works for me. Okay. All right, man. Well, this is a blast. Um, on my way out here, I'll just promote, uh, go on, search up the Hockey PDO cast on YouTube. Uh, for those visual learners, I'll post a bunch of clips of everything we've talked about here of Clayton Keller shooting the puck and beating goalies and and doing all that fun stuff, the give and goes and, and back to our sets with, uh, with Nick Schmaltz. Uh, you can give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show. And we'll be back tomorrow with more now that we're back to our regular scheduled programming of the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.